What's doing, everybody? Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for tuning in, and I have got a tremendous guest to bring you today. Zorro the Drummer joins me on the podcast. Zorro has been beating the drums for decades now. He is a legend in the music industry. His styles include rock, R&B, and hip-hop. He has toured with and recorded with the likes of Lenny Kravitz, Bobby Brown, Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, New Edition, and so many others. Uh, he's been called the Minister of Groove. He has been voted the the number one R&B drummer in the world multiple times. Just a legendary career. Now, Zorro is somebody who grew up fatherless. You know how I harp on the fatherless crisis on this podcast. Well, Zorro is somebody who lived it, and it really inspired and motivated him to become a first-class father. He documents all of this in an upcoming book called Maria's Scarf, a memoir of a mother's love, a son's perseverance, and dreaming big. Book drops on April 30th. The link to the pre-order is down there below. While you're on the channel, scroll through and see all the other music industry dads that join me on the podcast here. Dads from NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Boys to Men, hip-hop dads, R&B dads, uh, legendary singers, uh, Donny Osmond. Just go through the channel, check out all the music dads that have joined me on the podcast here. And as always, please help me spread the word about today's podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. Here comes my interview straight up with Zorro the Drummer on First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Joining me now, First Class Father, Zorro the Drummer. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Well, thank you, Alec. Thanks for having me on as a guest. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Let's start it like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I have two children. My son, his name is Jared. He is 24. And my daughter's name is Jordan, and she is 22. Wow. I mean, I- I'm headed right where you are. My oldest is 17 right now. So I got a senior in high school. I got four kids. Um, so I- I'm headed in- into the 20s, oh. but I- I'm still bracing for impact for the whole uh, the whole <laughs> bit. So uh, uh... I got some. I got something to learn from you here today. Well, de- de- well, I've got something to learn from you. You've got twice as many kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, go ahead. Uh, just for the for the listeners who don't know, if you could just take a second to hit them with a little bit about your background, what you do. Okay. Well, I am a drummer. I've been a drummer for forty years around the world. With uh, I've toured and recorded with Lenny Kravitz, Bobby Brown, New Edition, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, Lisa Marie Presley. Lots of lots of different people over forty years. I'm also an author. I'm also a motivational speaker, and I have been a teacher, uh, an educator for many years as well. Yeah, incredible. So obviously you've had a legendary uh, music journey. Take me back, if you could, to the beginning of your fatherhood journey. You said oldest 24. So uh, about how old were you then when you first became a dad? Where were you at in your career and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? Yeah, first of all, I I always wanted to be a father. I think we should start earlier. I was abandoned by my own as an infant, so I grew up fatherless. I grew up wanting to have a relationship with my father, sending him letters and cards and report cards, but he never responded uh, in, in most of my life. I finally met him at my high school graduation at 17. So one of my lifelong desires out of that pain was always to become a great father and to be for my children what I never had growing up. And then also from the pain of the fatherlessness and the aban- not just the abandonment, but the constant rejection from my own father, that sort of birthed in me uh, somebody who became a rallier and a motivator and a teacher. So I have been inspiring people 
pretty much most of my life out of that particular wound, out of not having a father. So I've always been a champion of other people's dreams and other people's children and have just mentored people all of my life. So it just goes to show no matter what you come from, you, you can make choices. But I poured that into my children immediately. So uh, my son is 24. I'm 61. I think I was 30, 36 if I did the math correctly, I think I was 36 when uh, my son Jared was born and I had been married for four years at that point. And I was already very well established in my career at that time. I was uh, playing with Lenny Kravitz and uh, it was a, it was a good time. It was a good age. I mean, you know, any, any time you have, you become a father is that's your reality. But for me, it was a little bit on the later side, which I was kind of glad about. Yeah, and listen, Zorro, one of the things I focus on so much on this show is the fatherless crisis that we have going on with so many kids growing up without a father or a father figure in their life. And it really has a devastating impact on our entire society. And oh. if they don't, if these kids don't find uh, that father figure somewhere, whether it be a teacher or a coach or in, even in the military, uh, it's when they find it on the street, we are filling up prisons in this country with fatherless young men. And so I wanted to ask, who, who did become your father figure? Did you find uh, uh, positive male role models in your life? Who kind of took on that role for you as you were growing up? Yes. Well, the first the first people who sort of took on that role were my older brothers. So I have an older brother who's like 12 years older than me. His name's Armando. And then my next oldest brother is Ricardo. He's five years older than me. So to the best of their ability, they tried to be that. But, you know, they weren't dads. Uh, the, you know, they were my brothers. But they tried to they tried to be that for me. In a, you know, we were a family of seven. And there wasn't any fathers in our life at all. But they did their best. But then my mother was smart enough. And she signed me up for the Big Brothers Big Sisters program when I was about 10 or 11. And I was in that program for about four years. And there was a man named Bill Large, who became my big, they call him bigs, I'm the little, and he was my big, but we remained friends uh, up until he died about maybe eight, eight, nine years ago. Uh, and he, and then there were other people, there were uh, the minister and the pastors at the church, and there were uh, my band director. I mean, it was, it was amazing how many guys sort of stepped up to the plate, some, some for a day, some for a week, some for a year, some for five years, you know, and they didn't play active roles every day. But just the fact that they gave me attention or encouraged me or loved on me made all the difference in the world. I wouldn't become the guy that I am today who rallies other people had I not had the love from those organizations. Uh, but yeah, the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, and then summer church camps, there were different uh, leaders there that had impact on me. Uh, when I look back on my life and the tapestry of my life, I just see all these all these men that just sort of gave of themselves a little bit here. And it was just enough. It was like just enough food to get by for that day or that year. So it, it makes a difference when we're out there in the world. E even if you don't have children, you can you can love on a kid and that can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, it's a great point, Zora. I think we don't realize the impact that we have. You know, I even realize it with my kids. Like, uh, that's why I try to sp spend, um, you know, individual time with each one, because even though it may seem like something so small to me, it's like their whole day uh, yeah. when they get the chance to be one on one. And so I think sometimes, too, like you say, even if you don't have kids, the impact that you're making on a kid that might not have that positive male role model in his life can be really astronomical. And, and so I, wa I wanted to talk to you about your faith, too, because I think along with not having dads in the home, not having the father in the home, not having 
even the heavenly father in our society is kind of that one two combination that's really crippling our, our country. And so I think, you know, if we had fathers back in the home, God back in our lives, I think most of the problems we're seeing uh, would start to go away pretty quickly. So talk to me about your faith. What, when did that become a prominent position in your life and how important was it instilling faith in your kids growing up? Uh, it was everything in, in both instances. First of all, it was my mother who instilled the faith in me. I mean, obviously, we all choose to believe in God or not. Nobody can make you do it. But her influence was very strong. She was a Christian woman. She had faith in God. Uh, she had to raise seven children alone that were completely no fathers in the scene whatsoever. So you got to have faith to get by on that. So I, I grew up going to church. I guess when I was about 10 or 11, when we moved from we moved from Compton, California, which is like the hood, to Grants Pass, Oregon, which is like the like uh, Little House on the Prairie or the Waltons. It was like a whole, you know, rural kind of living. But when I went, when we moved there, I started going to a Baptist summer, uh, Baptist summer church camp. And uh, that's where I got saved, so to speak. That's where I gave my heart to the Lord. So I've been walking with God pretty much my entire life. And I knew that as a father, the most important thing that I could impart to my children was their own faith in God. And so I'd been, my wife and I had uh, been praying over them for four years before they were born. I actually have cassette tapes I made when my son and, and uh, daughter were pregnant and my wife. I put a cassette tape on their on my wife's belly with headphones, and it was me just reciting affirmations and telling them how excited I, we were to meet them and that they were going to be world changers and that God's got a plan for their life and that they're going to be world changers and do great things. And so I wanted them to know they were loved even before they came into the world. So I literally made 90-minute cassette tapes of me reading poems, scriptures. So that's how important it was for me. And now I have two children who... Um, are, are awesome kids, but m more importantly, the thing that I wanted to do is inst instill faith because every child and every man, just like us, you're going to run into circumstances that are going to be beyond you. They're going to be things beyond your control to take care of and to fix and to finish, and you're going to need God. That's just the bottom line. And so I, th I thought the greatest thing I could give them besides my own love is to help foster this relationship with Jesus, for them to understand that there's a heavenly father they can turn to that's bigger than me, that's bigger than them, and bigger than their circumstances. And they both have incredible faith, but it's their own faith. It's not my faith. It's not my wife's faith. It's theirs, and they're both making a difference wherever they go. But I have been very intentional in raising them that way, not not uh, legalistic and not not uh, controlling and manipulative, but very, very intentional at letting them see how faith plays out in my own life so that it's real and relevant and relatable and not just this religious thing where we do at church, you got to do this. The other thing I would say to any father out there who's trying to raise their kids with faith is to realize that you can't put expectations on them that you yourself never lived up to. In other words, don't don't set a standard of holiness they can never achieve when you know you didn't achieve it yourself. In other words, give them the grace that God gives us when we stumble and make mistakes, because then it seems attainable. But if you set some standard that's impossible just for your own ego and pride as a dad, then that there's going to come the fall. Well said, John. Listen, that is one of the hardest things to do for myself as a father. Understanding the fact that most of the positive things in my life came as a result of failures that I had. And I understand that in my own life. So I would not never trade my failures that I've had in life because it's made me who I am. It's brought me to where I am today. And I understand that failure is part of this game and it's a necessary part of the game. But as the dad and watching them go through that, 
it, it, it is very difficult to kind of stay out of the way and allow them to fail and, and let them learn these lessons that they had that you can't really teach. Uh, failure teaches you more than anything else, I think, on this planet. And it's, so that leads me into this discipline uh, portion where I love to ask because uh, I do definitely d- discipline different with my daughter. She's our youngest. We only have one. She's she's nine now. But uh, well, what type of disciplinarian are you as a dad? And is that different than the discipline style you grew up with? Well, I, I grew up with a completely different discipline style because I had a mother who had her hands full with seven children, and it was hard to discipline us. When we were young, and she was a very tender-hearted woman, and therefore I'm sort of a tender-hearted man, but when we were young, you know, she would, uh, you know, back when people actually hit their kids or spanked them, she would, like, pull out the Hot Wheel track, you know, the the, the orange Hot Wheel track and try to hit me with it, and then I'd pretend it hurt more than it actually did, and then, but that, and that worked for a while until I was old enough to outrun her, <laughs> <laughs> And then I would outrun her and then I was bigger than her. So, but it's interesting. My mother disciplined us not with so much with discipline, but with just teaching us certain moral things and through example. So it wasn't her, her uh, whippings or punishments. It's so much discipline. A lot of times it's when she broke down and cried. I felt so bad that I was hurting her that, and then she would teach me these life lessons. So with my children, I wasn't always a very uh, physical disciplinarian, but I, I did, you know, both my wife and I, you know, when they were young, we did restrict certain things if they messed up, but I really always tried to explain to them. I tried to teach, I tried to make every moment a teachable moment. So, if, you know, I would say, look, this is the reason, like, for instance, I've been in rock and roll for over 40, 40, 45 years now, all around the world. And I'm not, tooting my own horn. I'm not boasting or anything, but just for me in particular, I have never been drunk or high in my entire life. And I've been with the biggest famous rock stars and movie stars and athletes and partiers in the world, but it's not for any really moral uh, Christian reasons. It was just to me growing up fatherless and totally dirt poor. I didn't want to waste one cent or dollar on something that wasn't turning into something that wasn't building something. And I didn't see drinking and drugs as anything except destructive and so I just completely refrained from it. So I would share that with my kids, knowing that maybe I can't make them not do experiment or try something, but I would always tell them, this is the reason why I didn't do that. This is what I think is beneficial in that choice. So I, I, I'm a teacher at heart. So I was always trying to teach them life lessons and I taught them to memorize scriptures, but I was always very open with them. So I think a lot of fathers put on a certain... Uh, image that's not really real so that their kid thinks that they're all, you know, and then I would say, no, this is where I failed when I was younger, but I I, I don't want that for you. But if you choose that, I can't stop you. So it gives them the, the uh, like, you give them a little bit of a line and you let the line out and, and you know, they're going to either listen to you or not. But I have found for the most part, they have followed in my footsteps. They've followed it in their own sort of broken curve, but they have followed after me. And it's because I didn't, force all these things but i shared i think i think every moment a, a dad could make every difficult moment like a teachable moment you know and, and and being vulnerable with them gives you like a true authentic relationship with them and listen zoro it's the scariest thing that for me i'm a recovering alcoholic recovering addict and it's the, you know i i pray that 
you know, and I'm been very open with my kids about, it, especially my teenage boys. Uh, they are very aware uh, uh, of that. I had these addictions and I, you know, they see, I, I pray that them seeing me being sober, uh, yeah. not partaking in any of this stuff will have a big positive impact on them. I know that I, I'm not naive enough to think that they're never going to be in a situation right. uh, to try it or to do it. It's just, it's so scary because it's really destroyed so much of my own life, my own family uh, that I, I just pray that through my own actions and them seeing that will be enough. And like you said, you know, at least they see, they see you've always been sober, despite the fact that you've been in, in the situations where everyone would expect you to be drinking, expect you to be high, uh, yeah. and, and you remain true to your faith or true to your, to your values and staying sober. And I, I pray that that, that, uh, that actions will speak louder than words in a sense. Well, in your case, it will, because they see you and, and, and by you being truthful and vulnerable, it shows them that you're a real man because we all struggle with things. Humanity is broken. Every man watching and every man in the world is broken in some kind of way. And so there's no, there's no way to live it out perfectly. We all have our different struggles, but I think by being honest and then them seeing you make that change and seeing you make that uh, choice and that discipline, that's admirable. That's, that's more, you know, that's more respectful to than, than to pretend like we've never struggled with anything you know i've struggled with a lot of things having no father and and self self-esteem and different things and we all find different sorts of medicine to deal with the pain that we're going through but but i share that with them openly and they both love the lord with all their heart and they both are difference makers and so it can work yeah, and, and, and this we keep God first in our family here as well. And I know we talked about your mother quite a bit here. I know you have the book coming out late April, uh, Maria's Scarf, a memoir of a mother's love, a son's perseverance, and dreaming big. Uh, what can you tell us about the book? What can we expect? Well, the book is going to touch the heart of any single person who reads it. The book has been a long-time vision. I've been working on it for 15 years it's really about this incredible love of a mother. So it's going to be for every mother out there, every father out there, but it's just about this incredible, incomparable love of a mother, a bond between a mother and son, an unbreakable uh, bond with a family, and this kid, me, with a starry-eyed dream, and all the things that I have to overcome to live out the dream. So I had this dream of becoming a world-renowned drummer since I was a kid, and it's how my mother helped me through all the difficult times uh, of poverty, uh, fatherlessness. At one point, we lived in a car. I was the janitor at my own high school where I was discovered from the band director and put into the band program. It's really, think of my story as kind of like Rudy, Rocky, The Blind Side meets Forrest Gump. It's a story of epic overcoming proportions. It is just an incredible overcoming story that will touch every heart, inspire everybody, and show people that no matter what, no circumstance is too big to overcome with with faith, with the love of someone. It could be a mother, a father, a grandparent, um, and vision and tenacity and hard work. So it's it's uh, and then I have an agent shopping it. The the vision is always to turn it into a Netflix series and a movie. But it's like it it, it will be a feel good story, like all of those you know, uh, Invincible, you know, Blindside, Miracle, all those that those kind of sports movies. Only it's about a kid who wants to make it as a drummer and all the obstacles he has to overcome to get there. But it is uh, so far of all the people who've read advanced copies and a lot of the endorsements I got from major people, uh, they have told me they've loved it. But in truth, it's the vision that God gave me to share with people to inspire them never to quit, never to give up. It's a book that every every uh, guardian could hand to their kid. And and also it's a book that, that inspires uh, 
parental guidance, you know, from what, whether it's from a man or, or, or a female or, or a, a big brother from the big brother program. It's, it's just to show you that the people that make the difference in your life, you never know what's going to happen to that kid. You know, and I became a, a drummer, I became a preacher, a speaker, a teacher. And my goal with this book is to inspire people and to touch people's hearts. And in the in a, in a world filled of chaos and calamity and confusion uh, comes a story that pierces through the darkness with light and hope that shows you, man, with God, it's all possible. And I started writing a diary, uh, uh, Alec, when I was 10 years old. So I've literally been writing this book for 50 years because I kept the diary up from 10 into my 20s. So there are a lot of diary entries in the memoir some will make you cry and some will make you laugh your butt off, but they were never intended. They were just a kid telling you his feelings. I wasn't thinking I'm going to write a book, but uh, I've been chronicling my life, my entire life and saving every part of it. But this has been a, a lifelong dream to get this story out there, to honor my mother and to honor all the people that were part of uh, part of my journey and to inspire every single reader out there to, to not give up on your dream and to also realize that you're also helping someone else fulfill their dream just by loving on them, by encouraging them. Yeah. Well, what an incredible gift to the world, Zorro. Maria's scarf. I'm going to put the link to the book down there for the pre-order uh, down below. So my listeners can tap in. Listen, listen, it goes back to what we were saying before about, you know, uh, failures, overcoming adversity. It's like, those are where the stories are. Whenever we read about people that have accomplished great things, when we look into it, there's always some adversity, always some type of struggle to overcome. And it's what makes for, you know, if we, we were to read the book and it's on page one, everything is going well, page two, yeah. uh, chapter five, things are still great. You know, no one's going to finish reading that book. It, it's, it's those struggles and those adversities that really uh, build character and make these stories that we all, you know, th that give us inspiration to do better in our own lives. Well, you're totally, you're totally right. I mean, you're right. And also those things give us character in life. I mean, I don't regret any of the hardships that I, that I went through. And, you know, my mother was uh, Mexican. And so when we moved from Compton to Oregon, we experienced all kinds of uh, racism and things. And, and I didn't even speak Spanish, never been to Mexico, but they hated me because they hated her, you know, and, but all those things formed in me uh, compassion. Like the older I get, the more I just have compassion and mercy on all people because it's just a struggle being human, right? And so there's a line in the book where I describe myself as, uh, and this was truly me, I was part sinner, I was part saint, uh, you know, uh, part dreamer, part schemer, but I was all heart in my epic quest for significance. So I was really, you know, everybody is part sinner and part saint, right? We do, even a criminal can do something really good. You know what I mean? You go like, and you'll see it in the movies, you know, it's like a guy's a total killer, but then he'll save this one kid or what, you know, so we all have within us the capacity to be good, the capacity to be evil. We're all part saint, part sinner. We're all dreamer and schemer. And with myself, I just had this epic quest that I wanted to be somebody because of the brokenness of my past. And, but now the greatest, the greatest thing that comes out of this is how I'm able to help so many other people. When I meet people around the world in the airport or drummers recognize me or people recognize me, and they go, oh, and, and a young kid will come up to me. I said, oh, man, let's take a picture together. So that way, when you're famous, I can say, I met you when you were 12 at the airport. So I'm like always speaking words of uh, life into them. And, and words are powerful. I do a whole message on the power of words. And I'm always trying to speak words of life because I've hung on to the few words that people spoke to me when they said, hey, you're going to be a superstar drummer. And I would recite that sentence in my head over and over every time I was rejected at an audition. Hey, Danny Wilson said you were going to be a superstar drummer. So our words carry power. And for me, the book is a way for my words and my story, you know, to carry on long past when I'm not here 
I will still be able to impact people because uh, next to food, clothing, and shelter, mankind survives off of story. That is the fifth thing that, that makes sense of life. We, we survive off the Bible. Written word is how we make sense. And stories passed down is how humanity makes sense of life. So the book was, it's, it's really more than just writing a, a book. It's passing on something. There's only so many one-on-one -on -one interviews I'm going to be able to do with people like you, Alec. There's only so many people I'm going to encounter in person that I can talk to or mentor. But a book has a way of spreading around the world and touching hearts everywhere that you'll never meet. And that was the whole vision and the... And the reason why I endured the 15 years of working on it to, to get it out there was because God put that in my heart to do. It was a vision he downloaded over and over and over, and I just refused to give up on it. Yeah, incredible, Zor. Yeah, Maria's Scarf, again, the, the link to the book, the pre-order is down there in the description below. And I want just to get into the musical part of it then, too, Zor, as you say, you know, when you came onto the scene, starting your musical career your, with drumming, it was a totally different scene than it is now, the way that people are being discovered, uh, just yeah. the rise of social media, YouTube, all these other things. What what would be, I mean, I have a, I have a nephew that's a, that, that's a drummer, passionate into drumming. What is your advice um, to the aspiring drummer that's out there today, the aspiring musician that's out there today with dreams of making it? I would say the first thing, the first piece of advice is to develop your talent to the highest, highest possible level you can. In other words, don't look for shortcuts and don't look for, oh, if I post this on YouTube or if I do that. If you just become the most awesome, incredible drummer you can, that talent will rise to the top. People notice excellence in any field. If you're great at what you do, uh, and if you're not great at what you do, you can have a million viewers, but that doesn't mean anybody's going to hire you because if you're not great at what you do, you can't deliver. So, you know, God gives us all uh, talent. Uh, and some of us, he gives drumming talent, but he gives it to you in the form of a seed. Like an oak tree doesn't start off as an oak tree. It's always an acorn, right? So he gives us the seed of potential to be great, but we must develop it. We must plant it, fertilize it, water it, develop it. And And so my advice is, be great. Be the best you can be. So the second you play with anybody, they're going to go, man, I heard this kid named Alec. He was ferocious on the drums, man. And that is how you rise to the top. That's also how you sustain a career because you can get lucky and luck up on a good gig once. But if you're not really versatile and that gig is over after a while, then like, what's your next thing going to be? You know, actors like De Niro, you know, they're, they're Robert De Niro, their skill is so high that at some point when you're that good as a writer, as a drummer, I mean, you're not going to be denied. People are going to go, that guy, I got to have that guy or that girl. And so that's because today everyone's trying to look for a shortcut and everybody's trying not to work hard. And I'm like, man, there's no way around it. You got to put in the 10,000, in my case, 100,000 hours and everything. I worked for 15 years on the book, but it really started off as a diary entry. I've read over 300 books. I have studied the craft of writing memoir. I always knew I had a story to tell, but I had to, and, I, and, I could, and I'm a good storyteller, but I still had to develop the craft of writing. So I approach writing the same way I would drumming or speaking. And I would say that to anybody, whether you're a drummer or whatever you want to do, be the best at it and take pride in the work that you do and take take pride in the fact that you've been given a great gift and be grateful that the gift you have is free from God because at the end of your life, God's going to ask you to give an account of your life and what did you do with the gift because the gift is free, but you developing it costs something. So don't forsake the process and don't negate the work. Yeah, re really, really well said, Zora. Yeah, so I, I would liken it to build, building a foundation on the rock as opposed to building the foundation on the sand, right? So uh, ha having that fundamental foundation is key to it. I uh, love what you say there. Last thing I want to hit you with here, 
Uh, I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? Realize that it's the most important job you'll ever have. Uh, a lot of people always ask me, what's been my favorite gig? You know, that's a question people ask. Hey, what's, of all the people you play with, what's your favorite gig? And I always tell them, my favorite gig has been being a dad. That is my, nothing, nothing in your life will be deeper than that. No accomplishment will mean more. Uh, and at the end of people's lives, the biggest regrets that fathers have is that they weren't good dads or they didn't spend enough time with their children. No, no super celebrity or superstar or rock star, sports star at the end of their life is going, gee, I wish I had had more awards. You know what they're saying? I wish I was a better dad. I wish I would have spent more time with my son or daughter. I wish I would have forgiven them. I wish I would have been there for them. So my advice is realize you're about to take the most important journey of your life and be intentional. You know, you don't stumble on excellence in any other place in life. So why would you stumble on excellence as a father? You're not going to stumble on excellence as a, to be a husband or a father. It is going to be intentional. It is going to be by by studying, by learning, by asking questions, and by having a teachable spirit. And so you won't become an excellent father any more accidentally than becoming a great athlete by accident. It's all – so I don't know why people think that when it comes to marriage or when it comes to parenting that all of a sudden you don't need any training or you don't need any knowledge or you don't need to practice or you don't need any – but you're just going to suddenly be great at something – that everything else would require an intense amount of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, time spent in learning that, right? So, like, just realize that this is a something you're going to have to learn, something you're going to have to read about, invest in, take classes, but it will be the best investment you'll ever make in your life, and nothing will impact more. You being a good dad will impact countless future generations. Because if you raise awesome kids that are going to be difference makers, you've, you've made a difference for 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 the a millennia, for future generations. But if you've raised a couple of jackasses because you were lazy and incompetent and weren't there, then you've affected the future generations in a negative way. So it's more than about just your own kids. It's about who they're going to impact throughout eternity because it's it's an eternal thing. Every, every good dad today affects so many people in the future and has no idea. So take it serious and be open and teachable and learn from other people and, and learn from your mistakes. Yeah, that's my advice. Yeah, I, I love the message, Joro. Uh, listen, this has been an honor for me. Again, Maria's scarf, the link to the book is down there in the description below for the pre-order. Uh, get down there, tap it, order a copy for yourself, any father in your family. Uh, this has been an honor for me. Zoro the Drummer, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thank you so much for the privilege. You're awesome. You're doing great work. Keep up the great work with the podcast and being a father. Super proud of you and super honored to be a guest on, on your show. And by the way, you are the very first interview as we start the approach for the book. So this will always be, and you know how appropriate that it was about fatherhood, because that's the thing that's dearest to my heart. So I'll always remember this will be the first one in many to come, but it started off with fatherhood. I didn't have one. I became one. You're one, and we're promoting fatherhood. What a great way to start. Yeah, I love that. There's nothing more important. I believe it when I say it. I, I think it's our no number one problem we're having in, in, in our country, in our world. Uh, fathers are so much more important than people think. And that's why I bring on so many different celebrities uh, like yourself that have accomplished so many great things in life that say, yeah, I've done all these things. But the thing that's brought me the most fulfillment has been being a father. We need to get that message, especially out there to the young men in this country. Amen and amen and amen, brother. Keep doing it. You're doing the great work. Thank you. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. 
find out why first class fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. Alec Lace encourages his high profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon to be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about first class fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood.